Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers with your host, Ben Siders. That's me. And the other guy is, as always, Kirk Damon. That's Kirk. That's the captain of the Enterprise. We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders, and you can find Kirk at KirkDMN. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at LGGPod, and you can check out our website, LGGPodcast.com. We are going to officially uh, wrap up 2020 with uh, our our what's becoming an annual tradition now, our Star Wars holiday special episodes <laughs> that we've been doing for the last couple uh, of Christmases. We didn't really plan it this way. It's just the first Christmas we had when we were doing the podcast, we just did one on uh, the, the original holiday special. And I think there's always been a movie coming out around Christmas time ever since then. So we've done our yeah. sort of predictions and things like that. So we're just going to make this a thing we do now. We're going to have each season uh, officially start at the first of the year so that the seasons line up on the calendar years. And then we're going to end every season with a, a Star Wars centric holiday special episode. So that's what we're doing today. And uh, Kirk and I are once again on our slightly less convoluted <laughs> tech <laughs> tech setup. And I wish you guys could see the video because Kirk's wearing like a pair of bright blue <laughs> children's headphones. <laughs> so my, 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 I have bought multiple sets of headphones to use with Zoom calls and with this and everything else. And my children have stolen them all. Um, and I just blew out the speaker in conjunction with my Zoom um, laptop here. And so I have to use headphones right now. And the only ones that are available are the free ones my kids got with, in conjunction with their iPads. <laughs> they're supposed to be using for school, but they like my nice ones instead. So, yeah, I'm wearing their, you know, bright blue. Like, you know, I think they're made by some education company. It <laughs> barely fit. It's pretty comical. <laughs> Okay, so so Star Wars stuff. There's actually a lot to talk about, and we haven't actually done as much, uh, you know, deep dive into all the new Star Wars announcements. They announced a ton of new stuff, uh, and Kirk has still not seen all of the Mandalorian season two, including the amazing last episode. So we will not talk <laughs> about that. Although he is aware that a Boba Fett is going to be in a series. Um, I mean, there's really no surprise there. We both expected Boba Fett to be in season two. So. Uh, but he doesn't yeah, know I'm exactly. Not a, I'm not a huge person for necessarily purposely avoiding spoilers. I try to, you know, not purposely seek them out. But it's one of those things where I'm usually not too offended um, about accidentally bumping into too many spoilers. But I, I, I figured Boba Fett was coming back. I think we 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 all had predicted that. I mean, technically, he does appear in Mandalorian season one, episode one. Um, I think there's is, is it episode two. Sorry, episode two, uh, the one where they they encounter the Mandalorian cache for the first time. Uh, his armor is in the backdrop, um, and I believe they've they've now stated it is his armor that you actually see uh, in it. It's not Boba Fett, but it is his armor. Yeah, <laughs> so you you will not be surprised that actual Boba Fett shows up at some point during the series <laughs> and, and becomes a part of the plot. So I, I won't spoil it beyond that. I finished also, I finished season episode one, and quite frankly, the fact that they now have his armor, I completely figured that there was at some point in time we were going to see the rest of him. <laughs> Yes, you definitely will. Okay, so let's talk about the new series. The first one they announced is an Obi-Wan Kenobi series that will star Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. It's supposed to take place about um, 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, so I guess about 10 years before A New Hope. Um, start to start filming next year, and uh, presumably um, there's going to be a lot of Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi conflict going on. Um Interesting concept. I kind of got the impression, though, like where they left off at the end of end of the of Revenge of the Sith, Obi Wan was on Tatooine and going into <laughs> hiding. So I'm I'm curious what they're going to do with this. Yeah, I think that it's going to be cool. I mean, Obi Wan is a character that can really use some exploration. Um, but yeah, I think the problem we've got with this is they really kind of imply that you know Obi Wan gets dropped off on Tatooine. He's there to watch over. Um, you know, Luke um, and make sure that sort of Luke grows up what we see at the beginning of A New Hope. But, you know, and how are we going to deal with the idea that he's supposed to be hiding? You know, how does he not find, uh, you know, has Darth Vader not find Luke if he finds Obi-Wan um, yep. and everything else, you know, in that respect? Well, there's already so, sort of a, an aging problem with the actors, right? Like Ewan McGregor at the end of the end of the Revenge of the Sith has to somehow age like 50 years <laughs> between, <laughs> between then and when uh, uh, A New Hope starts. 
Um, yeah, and I mean, we, we definitely got sort of the you know issues in conjunction with that, and exactly what do we you know what do we deal with in conjunction with with timing of, of the issues? But that's one of those you can also just kind of you know write down to different series, you yeah, know, different actors, yeah. different series. But I think the problem we're going to see in this is we we ended with putting them there. We need to begin with putting them there. We're trying to put a story in the middle of here, and that story can't have anybody figure anything out. Yeah, like, are we going to have, like, him on Tatooine and, like, are they going to cast somebody to play the Larses and, like, a young Luke? Like, I really, I, hopefully they've learned their lesson not to cast some eight-year-old to play to play Luke, you know? <laughs> well, and that's what I, what I have the feeling we may very well see is we may see it something where Obi-Wan leaves Tatooine, you know, that's and that's part yeah. of the important, the important plot line is that for some reason he needs to leave, um, and we're going to have a kind of conflict with it so that he needs to be taking care of Luke. What I've wondered about is it may be that he needs to help Leah. And so I've wondered if that may be part of the idea mm. is there's an issue with Leah. Um, so they can cast Organa, you know, they can cast Bail Organa. They can cast a lot of those sort of characters um, and, and run through some of their stories. But that forces Obi-Wan to leave Tatooine. And then his leaving Tatooine becomes dangerous. So we can actually have some things of like Luke's early childhood um, you know, part of the reason, you know, why, maybe why Luke is what he is. So, you know, the, the example I think of is it's, you know, the number of references to Womp Rats yes. um, <laughs> that have been made recently in conjunction with the Mandalorian and everything else. Um, one has to wonder if we're going to see sort of defining moments of Luke's childhood, kind of like we saw in conjunction with Anakin's. Yeah, I, I think Disney has probably learned that, you know, people did not like the really young um, Anakin yep. But you could still cast him as an eight-year-old. You just need to cast him as a kid. You need to not make him, you know, the the hero of the story like they did in conjunction with episode one. And putting Hayden Christensen in this is interesting because at this point, he's Darth Vader, right? It says, new series that takes place 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. So he's Darth Vader. He's got the 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 suit. Um, why cast him specifically? It's not going to be his voice. Are they going to have, have James Earl Jones do it? It's It's yeah. interesting how they're going to make that work. I have to assume part of it's going to be we're going to see him without his helmet. That's what I would think, yeah. Um, which makes some sense. I mean, we've seen, you know, we see him in the various, you know, movies, and we see him, you know, they've recast him now in the, the special edition of Return of the Jedi, you know, as Darth Vader. Yep. So I have to think part of this, um, of sort of what we're going to see, is we're going to see him without the helmet. He's not as dependent on the helmet. He could take the helmet off. I think we're going to see him with just the respirator. I think we're going to see him with where he has the respirator mask on, but not the rest of the helmet repeatedly i think they're going to show him like that a lot as is my guess is what we're going to see which quite frankly would be cool um as much as yeah. i don't like the sort of you know the fact that they're writing him in as darth vader and getting rid of the original actors for darth vader you know one of whom did just you know recently pass away uh, the actor who physically played Darth yeah, vader obviously not the voice uh, but physically played darth vader did just pass away um you know and so i think it's 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 unfortunate from that point of view that we're, we're kind of writing some of these actors out but at the same time, I like the idea of Darth Vader becoming Darth Vader. And, you know, and, and humanizing the character a little bit, too. Like, I thought one of the best scenes of Rogue One was when they go into Vader's castle and you see him kind of in the back to tank without the suit and sort of reminds you that it's just a guy inside that suit who's way who's like crippled and not at all intimidating when he's suspended in the in the, you know, the healing tank. Yeah, and actually one of the things that's been really interesting, I think Disney's probably going to play off this. So I was talking about that with Ben beforehand, the episode. I, well, I have not been watching The Mandalorian. One of the things I have been watching is Clone Wars. Uh, and it's been because of the fact that my son really likes Clone Wars, but my daughter does not. And so in certain evenings, when we, we can watch TV, but she can't watch, we tend to watch The Clone Wars because she wants to know what happens in it, but she doesn't want to watch the episodes. The reason being is she really does not like lightsaber battles. And, and The Clone Wars has a lot of lightsaber battles. It's, she doesn't like the sword fighting. She has no problem with the gunfighting, the blaster scenes, but she doesn't like the sword fighting. She finds it too up close and personal. One of the things that's really interesting in Clone Wars is how many early characters we get introductions to. Um, and for anybody who hasn't seen the Clone Wars, it's these are spoilers, but at the same time, they don't really give away anything in the episodes. But we have seen a number of characters that appear later on, appear early. So the episode we just watched, we met Captain Tarkin, um, who commands um, a, rebe a rebellion cruiser. And they do a great job of the interaction between Captain Tarkin and Anakin where the idea is Captain Tarkin is very much the idea that like the rebellion's methods are not powerful enough. They need to be more warlike. They need to be more aggressive. And it really sets him up as Grand Moff Tarkin. 
you know, and the idea that he commands the Death Star, he wants the Death, you know, he sees the Death Star as the way to win the war because you need this ultimate power. But then it also sets up what you see as the future relationship between him and Darth Vader um, in Star Wars between how he interacts with Anakin and the idea that Anakin kind of agrees with him mm-hmm. uh, behind this. And so it was one of those where it was like, that was neat to see, um, to see this sort of, you know, introduction of the idea that there's other characters in there um, that have been involved with it. Now, a bit of it's fan service, you know, that the timing doesn't necessarily work, you know, behind these, you know, exactly what these characters are. And there's, especially the, in, in, I think it's season three that we just finished. There's a lot of them. So we meet Captain Tarkin, we meet um, uh, Admiral Akbar, um, back when he's Captain Akbar. Um, so like we meet a number of these characters in ways that, you know, are kind of, eh, do we really need that yep. um, stuff? But at the same time, it's, it's cool to see them. And I think that Disney's probably playing off of that. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see some introduction to, let's get some more earlier characters played around with. Let's really sort of do these backstories. It looks like Disney's just really interested in backstories. Yep. So scale of one to 10, one being couldn't care less and 10 being must see. Uh, how interested are you in the Obi-Wan series? Uh, definitely for episode one, I think it's a 10. Like I yeah. have to see yeah. episode okay. one. I want to know what it's going to do with it. Yeah. yeah. Then it's going to depend on how good it is. And I think okay. that's, you know, it's, it's one where like, you know, I haven't watched Rebellion yet. I haven't watched, um, you know, most of the, the animated series yet. I've just been, I'm just making it through Clone <laughs> Wars. These are ones I want to see, but they're not real high on it. I think that's going to be the thing with Obi-Wan. Though I have to admit, I I like the live actions much better than the animated. It's just, it's, it's much yep. more fun to watch. <laughs> Agreed. Okay. The next one is the, uh, the, Ahs- the Ahsoka series. Um, this is all from USA today. This article I found, it says following her live action debut in the Mandalorian, Ahsoka will finally get her own standalone limited series. So it sounds like it's just like a, um, not like a, like a seasonal thing, but just maybe a, a more limited run uh, being done by John Favreau, who is doing the Mandalorian. Not much is known about it other than Rosario Dawson will star as Ahsoka, who she also plays Ahsoka in the Mandalorian, as you will find out shortly. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I won't go beyond that other than she's hunting for Grand Admiral Thrawn, who we already know from the Clone Wars as part yeah. of the canon now. So um so that's that's it. I don't know much about this character. I've only seen her in two episodes. I've seen the first two episodes of the Clone Wars, and I've seen her in her Mandalorian episode, which you yeah. haven't seen. So I don't know much about the character, but I, I gather she's a fan favorite. Yeah, I can definitely give you two. So my 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 daughter loves Ahsoka. It is by far her favorite character in the entire Star Wars universe. Um, and Ahsoka is a character, you know, watching the Clone Wars. And I know in the final season, if my, at least my understanding is from the final season of Clone Wars, they set up why Anakin doesn't have a Padawan because Ahsoka is obviously Anakin's Padawan for purposes of episode three. Um, that's my understanding of sort of what it is as to where this goes. But Ahsoka is a character that plays extremely well off of Anakin. She is a fun character in her own right. Um, the idea of her having a bit of, you know, Anakin's sort of independence but lacking his mental turmoil, so to speak. Um, one of the Clone Wars episodes very much focused upon Anakin being tormented by what he did with the Tusken Raiders uh, in conjunction with, you know, get, trying to rescue his mother in episode two. Um, and, you know, Ahsoka kind of doesn't, she doesn't have those, those issues. You know, she hasn't had that sort of pull to the dark side um, that Anakin has had. And from because of that, she's just a really cool character. She does fight with two, with dual lightsabers. Yes, um, I did know that. Also, yeah, you know, which is also kind of a neat effect. They're really playing around with the lightsaber. Something they did in Clone Wars. You know, there's a number of different styles of lightsabers in the way people fight. You have people fighting with two. You have people fighting with double-sided ones. Um, and the idea that that's really sort of a personal choice. And so I, I really, like, to me, like, the, the concept of exploring Ahsoka has so much of where they can go. She's also a character where we have no idea what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't know where she goes, where she ends up because she disappears. Um, and so presumably she has to die before a new hope starts because it, we can't have any more Jedi. Um, but we have no idea how or why, or does she just go into hiding or anything else? I mean, they can do so much with her character. Um, this is one I have to admit when I found out this was being announced, this is probably my top really must see just because I love the character. I love the character of Ahsoka. 
Um, and really am curious as to where they go with her. <laughs> well, and she has to be alive after Jedi somehow because she's going to go after Grand Admiral Thrawn who emerges after Jedi. So somehow we're going to get this backstory at some point of where she was all this time and why why we never saw her during the original trilogy. I, I hope they don't go into too much detail on that. Some of that's kind of just filling in gaps that they can just have a throwaway line explaining that she was just on hiding somewhere. Like we don't, we don't really need to know. Um, yeah. I don't think there's anything in the canon that says that there were absolutely no Jedi left you know other than yoda and obi-wan so and, and there could be others still too and, and we know from the expanded universe the the zahn novels had uh, the, the joris saboeth character there, there were others kind of around so um so this sounds like this one's a 10 for you as well yeah this is definitely sort of a must see for me and it's again i hope they do the thing with it the other thing i think we might see is presumably the idea that she becomes you know she if she does go into hiding or something like that Another one they played around with quite a bit in conjunction with the Clone Wars is the, the concepts of Yoda's training um, and certain elements of Yoda's training being important. So, I mean, there's an example in it where Anakin enters a place which is a whole lot like the cave mm-hmm. um, from Dagobah and is a whole lot like the cave from, uh, I believe it's episode eight, um, and, and things like that. The idea that like, there's these sort of universals in training we may very well be able to explore some of that with Ahsoka. And that's where I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see where does she go? Um, what does she do? And again, she is a fun character. Um, and that's the thing that I really like about her. Well, and that they're setting at the same time as the Mandalorian. So there may be some opportunities for, for crossover storytelling here too. Um, along yeah. those lines, the next series is called Rangers of the New Republic. Uh, similar to Ahsoka, it's uh, also got Favreau involved. Um, also taking place during the same timeline as The Mandalorian. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of detail about this, but I assume it's going to be more focused on, um, obviously, the New Republic and its government, something that we really haven't seen any of um, in any of the series so far. We sort of skip from Jedi to uh, you know Episode 7, and we have a New Republic that's established and then destroyed in the first 40 <laughs> minutes of the movie. So we never really see well, any- Coruscant is. <laughs> yeah. So we never really see anything about them. We've seen, you know, some X-wings, and there's been some run-ins with the New Republic and the Mandalorian. Um, but we really haven't gotten to dive in at all to to what it is and how it works and who's involved in it. So, uh, Rangers of the New Republic kind of sounds like um, I don't know, sort of a, a peacekeeping force, maybe, or like a um, like a crack um, um, anti-imperial. I'm guessing this is going to investigate our um, our mercenary, the the woman whose name is currently escaping me from uh, season one of The Mandalorian. Uh, We know she is, you know, an ex drop trooper uh, from the New Republic. I have the feeling that's what we're going to investigate here. uh, Uh, Yeah, the idea of those troops. (laughs) Yeah, she she very well could be be involved in that. So um, done a lot of detail in this one. Definitely curious where they go with it. I'd like to see, um, you know, a little bit of this part of the the history, ex- the, you know, the story explored, but um, this one without more detail, it's kind of hard to pique my interest. Yeah. This one, I, what I worry about with this one is that it's going to be too much of just a, Hey, we need a story of an elite group of troops, you know, something like that, which you know, my worry with this is it's going to be a rehash yeah. um, of things we've already seen, or it's going to be a gap filler in conjunction with the other two, where we have the Mandalorian focused around an individual character, we have Ahsoka focused around individual character. And now we have, oh, we need a gap fill with a group of, you know, for lack of a better term, we need the A-team in the Star Wars universe. Yes. Well, they have introduced a handful of, of characters in the Mandalorian that are associated with the New Republic. You'll see as you watch season two, they introduce mm-hmm. a couple of X-Wing pilots that have a, an interesting role. They don't really come back. Um, so maybe they'll bring those characters in as, as part of this to, to expand a little bit. That'd be interesting. Uh, the next series is called Andor, starring Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk. Uh, returning to play um, Cassie and Andor and K2SO from Rogue One. Um, it says they are finding their place in the rebellion. So I guess it's, I guess it has to be a prequel since they both, spoiler yeah. alert, they both die in Rogue One. Uh, 12, Everybody dies in Rogue One. <laughs> set for a 12-episode release uh, in 2022. So we've got a little ways to go for this one. Um, you know, this... the. The Cassian character, I thought, took a little bit of flack from fans who didn't didn't like him that much. I, I actually kind of did. I liked him kind of being the the gritty, tough, like the very beginning of Rogue One. He like assassinates somebody that he's getting for information. Like he's a he's a compromised person. His you know he's he's almost literally sold his soul for the rebellion, and um, you know had had to do some terrible things in support of this cause. So 
kind of seeing his evolution, I think will be interesting. And I like Diego Luna. I thought he did good in that role. Um, I, I worry Alan Tudyk may overshadow him a little bit as K2SO, who is <laughs> re- really fun and a, a smart alecky. So mm-hmm. um, I'm definitely curious about this one. I don't know that this can last more than a, than a single 12 episode arc because um, only so much time to fill. And um, I just don't know that the character has a, a, enough backstory to go much beyond that. But anyway, what yeah. do you think? My, my thing, I like, I really like Rogue One. I think Rogue One is sort of of the, the modern movies and is one of the best ones that's been done. Um, partially because of the fact that I think the story was well done. I also, I'm kind of like you. I like the fact that Rogue One is rogue. They, they're not necessarily what we expect of the rebellion. They're a little bit on the edge. They're kind of a Han Solo-ish, you know, you know, portion of- Yeah, it's, it's not quite your classic hero archetype. We're getting more into the, 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 the more morally vexing things that these people have had to do to, to yeah. fight this rebellion. And quite frankly, I'd like to see them do that. I'd like to see them go into the sort of, for lack of a better term, the dark side of the rebellion. Um, and the idea that, you know, there's a lot of people in the rebellion, you know, it's a rebellion, these guys are necessarily probably doing things in the shadows, doing things that are not necessarily what we consider, you know, morally clear yep. um, and stuff like that. And I'd love to see them explore that um, as a place to go. And the Rogue One characters are a great way to do it because of precisely that we see at the beginning of Rogue One, um, a little bit of that sort of dark side. I'm with you. I'm not sure this can really do that much. Um, you know, my take with this is it's, do you even really want this to be a series? Why don't you do like a three episode mini series? Yeah. 12 like, episodes seems like a lot. So I kind of hope they've just planned out. I'm sure they have planned out like an arc and what to do with it and maybe see how it's received. But I, I think 12 is probably the, the limit of what you can do here. Although I, I do look forward to seeing Diego Luna back. Um, also on, on that note of the sort of morally ambiguous elements of the rebellion, you and I have often talked even on this podcast about how, um, uh, you know, the, the, the movies have glossed over those things uh, to, to a great degree. You know, they, they blow up the Death Star, which presumably has millions of people living on it. <laughs> and, you know, most of whom are conscripted or just random people doing their jobs. You know, there's a janitor there somewhere. What did he do wrong? Why did he deserve to die? <laughs> Jar Jar's um, a janitor. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you'll be pleased to note that uh, this topic does come up at some point in Mandalorian season two. Um, <laughs> they don't really get into it much, but there is at least an acknowledgement that, that that is sort of a moral quandary that the rebellion um, did this. Uh, so you'll get to see uh, a little bit of interesting dialogue. It uh, doesn't really get resolved in a satisfactory way, but there is some some dialogue about it. Okay, so Cassie and Andor. Um, I, I'll, I'll at least watch the first episode. I want to see what they do with it. Yep. Okay, the next one is The Bad Batch. It says The Bad Batch made their debut in The Clone Wars, returning for a fantastic story arc in the series' final season. Uh, the team of clone of rogue clone troopers will return in a new animated series that takes place after Revenge of the Sith. So I have no idea what this is. So I've seen the episodes. I've seen the initial introduction of The Bad Batch. I have not seen the final series. I have to say I don't like The Bad Batch. I actually yeah. don't particularly like them as a squad. I didn't find them interesting. Um, I found them to be the sort of classic, you know, we need the, the lack of a term, recuperative arc um, of how we sort of, you know, make these guys work together as a team and everything else. Um, in, in many respects, and actually I says in the Clone Wars, I have not liked the named clone troopers um, for the most part. I find that, you know, they, they try to use them a bit as foils, uh, we happened to just watch the episode, that's, uh, the, the two-part episode, which is essentially the droid story and sort of the droids being accidental heroes. Uh, we introduced Commander Wolf. I don't like Commander Wolf, and I don't think you're supposed to um, because he's supposed to be a bit of a foil to C-3PO, um, you know, who's sort of the likable, lovable. He's very much the military, must get my orders done. But I think the problem you bump into is these are clone troopers. Like they're not, it's, it's like, do we really want an episode that focuses on the story of, you know, Roger, you know, the droid trooper, like they're all the same. Um, and so the idea that, you know, Hey, yes, they have these individual personalities. Well, yeah, obviously they do. They're, you know, clones are going to have individual personalities, but I just don't find them that interesting. I don't think that the clone troopers are that interesting as story characters. They're almost better as faceless ones. Okay. Um, so it sounds like you're not super into that one. I, I have no context yeah. for it. So I, I, you know, if I get through the clone wars, I might, I might check it out. But. You know, I haven't seen the final episode. And again, they talk about the fact that the final episode is a lot of where they come in and have this great story arc. So I may, my opinion may change of them at that, but that one's probably the least interesting to me at this point in time, just because of they were not to me an interesting series of characters. 
Okay. Uh, the next one is called Star Wars Visions. And here's the description again from this USA Today article. Uh, Disney Plus will release Star Wars Visions, a collection of 10 animated short films taking place in the Star Wars universe. Each film will come from different animation studios. Uh, and according to the Star Wars Twitter, the films will celebrate the Star Wars galaxy through the lens of the world's best Japanese anime creators. Wait a minute. Isn't that Matrix Visions? Uh, is that what they were called? This is interesting um, that they're going to kind of turn this over to various studios to do a take on Star Wars. Um, I'll be interested to see what the subject matter is. And um, I, I'm not a huge anime fan, although my kids are turning into big anime fans. But um, I'd just like to see what this looks like and what like what stories they try to tell. Yeah, the, my thing with this, immediately as soon as I saw this, it's, you know, didn't they do this in Matrix? And oh, yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, they turned over the Matrix to, you know, a bunch of Japanese animated studios to write storylines that appear in the middle. Um, I remember being excited when the version came out of the Matrix. I thought it was really cool. In conjunction with the Matrix, there's, I don't remember, six uh, shorts, I think, in conjunction with the DVD that came out with that. One of them is brilliant. One of them is pretty, pretty entertaining. And the rest, in my mind, are forgettable. Yeah. Um, and so what my worry with this thing is, is what are we going to get for stories? And I mean, I'm going to be this sort of horrible for a minute, but let's talk about holiday episode. It's the Boba Fett animation story, yes. you know, which appears in the holiday episode. You know, that's great, but it's not really great. Yeah. It's, you know, there's been a lot of references to it in the Mandalorian, a lot of sort of fun backstory things in conjunction with it, but it's almost tongue in cheek because it's the holiday special. What I worry about with this is we have no idea what these stories are going to be like. We're obviously using Japanese anime into Star Wars. We're talking with a very, you know, very different cultural sort of, you know, presentations and stuff like that. These have the potential to be utterly amazing and to be totally terrible. Yeah. Um, and well, I, I like, I like that they're doing anime because so much, I, I think, I think the influence of Japanese film on Star Wars is often, often goes unappreciated. A lot of what Lucas borrowed from was uh, Kurosawa films. Yep. Um, you know, the, the droids I think are, I've, I've never seen it, but um, uh, the hidden fortress, I think that's what it called. The hidden fortress is the, is one of the Kurosawa films he borrowed from a lot. Um, so it'd be interesting to see kind of a return to, to those roots. You know, the, the Jedi obviously have an element of, of mysticism and the samurai to them um, as, as sort of these, these peacekeeping officers that wield swords. I, I'm really curious to see if they're able to take those cultural elements that sort of have their roots in, in Japanese film and, and then retransplant them back into a uniquely Japanese medium. Uh, how, how, if that works really, really well, which it could, or if it just falls flat because Star Wars, I think it's proven to be less malleable than maybe we thought it would be. Yeah, I think, then again, that's where I look at being the concern with this. And again, I look at it, oh, it's, it's not, uh, it's Animatrix is what the, the thing I was trying to remember the term of. It's Animatrix. Mm -hmm. um, is the, I never the saw it. Of it. So the Animatrix is a series of, of again, short Japanese anime, um, animated films that take place between episode one and two, if I remember correctly, of The Matrix. Um, and again, like the, the first one of it, which is done by the um, animators for Final Fantasy, if I remember correctly, um, is sort of a great episode to introduce the relationship between um, the characters and sort of, you know, their, a little bit of their backstory going into episode two. And that's what they tried to do is sort of set up episode two. Um, but uh, the, the thing that I worry about with this is I watch quite a bit of anime and the way I always put it is the style of anime is its own thing. And it works very well for anime. You have to realize you're watching anime. I'm not sure that that style is going to work well for Star Wars because it's very not Star Wars. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm share those concerns. So I, I guess I'll be interested to see if they can take the setting and transplant it into the visual and narrative style of an anime film and make it work. And they're going to give it to it says a bunch of different animation studios. Yeah. So we'll get a bunch of different takes on this. And this this may be something that they want to do to kind of see can anybody make this work? And then maybe out of this comes like a, a, a like a full a, a longer anime series. Like one of these studios really knocks it out of the park, and then they award like an anime contract to do like a whole you know uh multi-season yeah. series and i mean the, the reality of it is you know there are fantastic anime directors out there whose bodies of work are amazing to watch you know and, and things like that again just what i worry about is it's most of the ones that i'd say that i've seen great series from if i look at translating what they did into the star wars universe i'm not sure it fits that well um, and that's my real worry is that you know you have somebody here who you know, has a great style, tries to apply it to the Star Wars universe, and it just doesn't connect well with the Star Wars universe. At the same time, if it did connect well with the Star Wars universe, you could have an amazing story here. 
what I also think with these and what I'm kind of hoping from them is these explore very small aspects. I think that yeah, that's something they're short. Where, yeah, they're, they're shorts. And I think it's something where a, an anime director, again, can do an extremely good job of exploring a very small aspect, you know, a, a mental relationship of one of the characters. You know, I could very well see them going into, you know, a, a Darth Vader personal episode, like, you know, Darth Vader being the first time he attacks another planet. Yep. And just his mental conflict in doing that could be a great anime episode. I could see that one kind of thing working. And that's extremely small story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll see how that goes. So I'd say I have moderate interest. I'm, I'm more curious than interested. I want to see kind of what it looks like. Yeah. Um, the next one is the Lando series. It says little <laughs> is known about the untitled Lando series, but Disney announced the smooth talking smuggler will return to the small screen. The series will be helmed by Justin Simeon, director of Dear White People and Bad Hair. Um, you know, we don't have any casting information. Um, uh, definitely, I like Lando as a character. I feel like he's been uh, underexplored and underutilized. I really enjoyed uh, the portrayal of him in the solo movie. Um, so I, I'm, I guess I want to know who's going to be in the be in the show and what time period they're going to set this in. Yeah, my my assumption is it's probably going to be set after Solo. Yeah, um, you know that's my thought for it. Um, again, I think we're going to get into the idea of some of it connecting the characters. We're going to see stuff around here like we've seen in Star Wars. Everybody loves Lando. I mean, of course, how can like, you not? I mean, he's one of the best characters in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, he's he's given a little bit of a short shrift, I think, in um, Return of the Jedi, partially because obviously he was intended to be much more of a star of Return of the Jedi when Lucas wrote the original scripts, but then with the second Death Star being added, you know, he kind of disappears off of yep. that. But th- this one to me is is a clear like, you know, the fa- this is why the Mandalorian happened. Like, we wanted a Boba Fett series. Oh yeah, we're gonna get a Boba Fett series now because the Mandalorian's been successful. We need a Lando series because everybody loves Lando. See, I'd, this- I'd almost rather see them set this after Return of the Jedi and show Lando like retiring from the New Republic and then trying to go back into doing what he enjoys the most and just his his series of 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 <laughs> uh, of, of you know successes and failures in trying to find a place in this new universe um, where he sort of picked a side now and he can't just sit on the fence. And I think you could cast an yeah. older, a little bit of an older actor that way with a little more gravitas. And I, I think that would be, I, I would find that more interesting than trying to shoehorn in. Uh, Cause I know, you know what they're going to do. It's going to be about how he acquires the Tabana gas mine at Bespin. Like that's going to be the <laughs> whole thing, but I would like to see them just move on from that and maybe even set it during the grand Admiral Thrawn period or, or right before that. So I, I, you know, we don't have a time period. We don't have a, a an actor. Not a lot of information on this one, but I definitely am going to keep my eye on this one. I want to see what they do with it. My, my thing with this one, what I quite frankly would like to see them do, and this is going to be straight of strange sounding, I know, but for people who know it, I can see this being set after Solo and the idea of Lando being a gambler and this really being a nothing to do with Star Wars as a battle type of thing. But this yeah. being the idea of him being a gambler. Think Ocean's Eleven set in the Star Wars universe type. Of oh, thing. yeah. I could very well see them doing uh, with Lando being essentially a gambler. It's him doing, you know, constantly on the run from the Republic and the Empire and everybody else, you know, that's what it is. I think you could have a lot of fun with the Lando character. I think it'd be fun to do something like that. Uh, the way I kind of put it is it can be sort of the the persona of James Bond, um, you know, set in the Star Wars universe of, you know, hey, he can have the, you know, the high stakes gambling. He can try to win these, you know, do these kind of things with it. They can introduce a lot of, for lack of a better term, the leisure side of Star mm-hmm. Wars. We could really learn rules. We could learn rules of like how the card games are played, about how the, you know, ch- um, you know their, their uh, tabletop, you know, war game is played. Those kind of things. I can see them doing a lot of fun with that for Lando. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with the thing. We know nothing about this at this point in time. It's a character which is well-loved. They're yeah. going to have to do a good job in conjunction with Lando or else people are going to be upset with it. This one's going to need a lot of work. And, yep. and I think that's why they're announcing so little. They're saying they want to do it. They know they want to do it, but they know they've got to figure out how. The next one is the Acolyte set during the High Republic area that takes place, uh, era that takes place hundreds of years before Phantom Menace. Um, hasn't been explored much, and it says it will make its much-anticipated live-action debut in a new series led by uh, Leslie Headland, creator of the hit Netflix series Russian Doll. According to Disney, the Acolyte will be a mystery thriller that takes place near the end of the High Republic. So this is uh, completely new ground, and I really hope Disney just... 
uh, you know, turns her loose to just do anything, right? Like, I think Disney maybe has been a little too uh, thumb on the scale as far as popularity, uh, but their most successful, um, you know, efforts, I, I, I feel, have been the ones that they've been the most hands-off on and just let creative people who love this universe and who love the subject matter just go do something interesting with it. I think that's done way better than the, the sort of the products they've turned out. Yeah. I, I'm with you on this one. I'd have to say this. You know, I've never been interested in the books. There's a lot of books set in this wind period, stuff like that. I've never had any interest in this period of sort of Star Wars. This is one where I really would like to see it. You know, this is a good director. Just say, you know what the basic characters are. You've read the background novels. Go for it um, and see what turns out. And basically the, you know, the, the let the director have free reign um, to what it is because you could make an extremely good product that happens to be set in the Star Wars universe and has nothing to do with Star Wars. Yeah, it, it can be anything. We, it doesn't have to be tied in. We don't need to see some ancestral Skywalker line. You can just make all new characters and just tell an independent story about them that doesn't have to connect to anything. And it kind of seems like that's the direction they're going in. It's called The Acolyte, and it's a mystery thriller. So, uh, but interesting it's, to- its image also has, and I think it's the, the key thing to it, You know, when you look at the proposed image for it, it certainly looks like that's been cut apart by a lightsaber. It does, yeah, for sure. And the style looks almost like a comic book movie of the logo. Yeah. And, and so I think it's going to be, a, this is one where I have to say, this is probably my least interesting just because that this wind period doesn't interest me particularly, but this is one where I could see if, if, if Disney really does. And again, I think it's, I'm with you on this. Disney needs a hands off on this mm-hmm. to say, we don't want to necessarily talk about this period at all, but you could see a good director make an absolutely amazing movie here. Yeah. which has nothing to do with the normal Star Wars. Again, a mystery movie, you know, those kind of things with it. It could be just a fantastic presentation. It'll be interesting to see what this guy's Yeah, I think, I think the best way they could do this, just make a film that's set in Star Wars, but other than borrowing the setting for like marketing and branding and getting people yeah. to tune in, it's just an independent story. So hopefully that's what they do. Uh, the next one is a droid story. It says there's no Star Wars without droids and two of the most well-known return to the canon in a droid story. This is an animated series that will follow R2-D2 and C-3PO as they meet and guide a new hero. Um, just based on the the droids being there, the the image we've got here, and it's an animated story, I get the impression this is very much a children's property. Well, the, the image from this, I believe this is an image from Clone Wars. I think it's actually one of the episodes I just watched um, that has to do with, with, again, kind of there's a two-part arc in season four, um, which is C-3PO and R2-D2 kind of becoming the accidental heroes. Um I'm tired of C-3PO and R2-D2 being the accidental heroes. And it, it really focuses on the relationship between them and C-3PO being the, I'm the smart one and R2-D2 solving all the problems. Yes. Um, and stuff like that. Now there's a nice moment between them, um, between the, the sort of actual feeling of the way they feel about each other, which I think is a very good sort of presentation in that. Um, this reminds me of Star Wars droids, which obviously mm-hmm. they've already done stuff with the droid stories. I know when you look at it, and I've always said this, the original Star Wars trilogy, you know, uh, you know, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, is the droid story. It is the story of, of C-3PO and R2-D2, as much as we don't look at it, particularly New Hope. I mean, it is their story. Um, I like the experience with droids. My worry with this is that C-3PO is, in some sense, a comic relief character. Yeah, and he's not especially likable. He's stuffy and fussy and uptight and and prissy, and he's, he's just... A, a, remarkably unlikable. He's never really had a heroic moment. He's always timid and afraid of everything. Uh, and, you're, and you're right. He's there as, as sort of the foil to R2-D2, who is the, the short, sturdy, confident, uh, and industrious, uh, you know, problem solver. You know, mm-hmm. R2-D2 just constant, you know, confidently plods forward all the time with 3PO kind of, uh, you know, trudging along behind and wringing his hands. And I don't know. I, I don't find their interaction by themselves to be that interesting. Yeah. And that's, I think the real problem we're going to bump into with this. I, I think you're right. This is going to be a kid's property. I think we're going to see the animation from Clone Wars. I think that's the way this is going to go with it. But I really see this as being probably a kid's property, probably an introduction to Star Wars. We're not going to really see battles in this. It's probably going to be more comedic. Yep. Um, you know, and, and I'm not opposed to this. I mean, again, looking at it from a Disney corporate point of view, you know, they need that type of property. It's not like they need to cater to us as fans for every one of them. No, certainly not. Yeah. Um, uh, but this one is probably low on my list as far as what I'll, what I'll check out. Yep. Okay. So that's, well, then the last one is Book of Boba Fett, which I don't want to get into too much detail, but this is also going to take place during the Mandalorian uh, timeframe as you will soon, soon learn why. Um, <laughs> 
I don't want to get into too much detail on what it is, but suffice it to st- say that the the cut the the, the post credit scene at the end of Mandalorian season two um, implies that Boba Fett has some um, uh, some debts to settle uh, and some uh, some family business to take care of, and that he's uh, going to be going out and doing that. So uh, <laughs> we can't really talk too much about it until Kirk gets to see the scene, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, Boba Fett's a fan favorite. Um, I'm actually a little surprised they haven't tried to shoehorn some Captain Phasma thing in here, too. So I was actually going to say that is it's my prediction right now for future Mandalorian is we will introduce Captain Phasma. Oh, yeah. Um, Because I think we are headed towards the First Order. You know, the Mandalorian is is getting into the idea a bit of the the enemies. And this is, again, my take from season one of the remnants of the Empire becoming the First Order. I think we saw that in the conclusion of season one just by the nature of the uniforms and what we saw with it. I have the feeling because again, Captain Phasma is a fan favorite. People like Captain Phasma um, and Captain Phasma really got short shrift in the movies Yes, uh, because nobody expected them to be a fan favorite. And then trying to shoehorn them into episode uh, eight just didn't really work very well. And so what I think we're really going to see is an introduction of Captain Phasma. Again, Disney likes doing this. We've seen it happen in the yep. Disney properties. We've seen it happen in the Star We'll get Wars to see properties. Lieutenant Phasma or something. Yeah, we'll see Lieutenant Phasma. And Lieutenant Phasma is going to be cool because everybody wants Lieutenant Phasma to be cool. <laughs> um, and and, and you know, I think I have the feeling you might get into And one thing I've wondered about, I was thinking about this the other day. Does Captain Phasma wear Bakar armor? Because her armor is uh, yes, over. yes. It'd be interesting to see if that if that grows out of the Mandalorian. Like she's a Mandalorian somehow who went back to the Empire or something like that. And as I, again, I don't want to get into season two spoilers of the Mandalorian, but they are setting up a conflict over um, control of Mandalore and who's in charge of, of the planet. So that, that's set up um, in Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah. So it, it that that plot thread continues. Okay, and um, we've got two movies coming out. One is Rogue Squadron. Um, They've, they say uh, Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins joined Star Wars as the first woman to direct a film in the franchise, set to release on Christmas of 2023. So I guess we know what our 2023 holiday special is going to be about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's all we've got. Um, I, I thought Wonder Woman was probably the best, may, maybe the best of the, uh, uh, of the DC films, um, other than maybe the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. But uh, I thought <clears throat> Wonder Woman was was really well done. Uh, Patty Jenkins did a great job of uh, fleshing out that universe, you know, World War One, sort of a, uh, a neglected and unexplored time period. And I uh, really enjoyed the film. So, in fact, we're going to go see Wonder Woman 84 on Christmas. <laughs> we're going to go see. We're going to have it streamed to the house. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, Rogue Squadron, obviously it's going to be about Rogue Squadron. So I'll uh, be curious to see kind of when they set that. I assume it's during the rebellion. Uh, and the fact that it's a film is interesting, too. It almost suggests that there's going to be maybe a, a, a more microscopic story about one particular encounter or battle, something kind of along the lines of Rogue One. Yeah, my guess is, is what we might see in conjunction with this is a, is a very small time period. We, we have introduction of Rogue from Rogue One, you know, with the idea that, you know, what's your call sign? Everything's a color. And then they say Rogue. Um, I have the feeling that we might have something with the idea of that just carrying over. Like, where does Rogue Squadron come from? I think it's going to have a tip of the hat to Rogue One and the idea that that's where they get the name from. Again, I'm with you. Wonder Woman was one of probably, if not the best, definitely one of the best DC comic uh, movies made. Um, we're also in the boat that we want to stream, uh, you know, the Wonder Woman, um, the new Wonder Woman movie coming because it's just, you know, it, the first one was so well done. This is an area where I can see them doing really well. And my worry with it is, again, it's just how much of this is going to be fan service. And, yeah. do we, you know, we've got Rogue Squadron after Rogue One, like, you know, how much are we going to play around with this? But I really think it's going to be that uh, that question of where does Rogue Squadron come from? Why do we go from Rogue One to Rogue Squadron? Yeah. Um, and in, in some sense, a kind of a bad batch you know, type of thing in this. I, I think we're going to see the idea of this just evolution from it. Yeah. Maybe it'll be like a special forces thing where they do, um, you know, clandestine operations or things like that. Squadron makes it sound like it's a, uh, you know, ships, but you never know. Yeah. It could just be. Well, it's got uh, a picture of an X-Wing in there too. So, I mean, that's. Yeah. The- yep. Okay. And then the other one we don't know, have anything about really. It's called Untitled uh, Taika Waititi Project. I don't know who that is. Uh, it says cult favorite director Taika Waititi returns to the Star Wars family to take on a new untitled film. Uh, he played IG-11 in The Mandalorian and directed the final episode of the first season. So just based on that, I'm already excited. IG-11's um, <laughs> <Yeah>, fun. <laughs> and I, I may have pronounced his name wrong, so, so I apologize. But um, 
this one, it's, you know, it's tough to say. We don't have a date. We don't have a subject matter. We just know that somebody who is, is clearly talented is attached to it. So uh, kind of like Patty Jenkins, that's obviously exciting, but um, hard to really get your hopes up until you know a little bit more about it. Yeah, this is just, it's too speculative at this point in time. All right. So boy, we are, we are, uh, have an embarrassment of riches coming here with, uh, with Star Wars content. It's interesting that um, they're shifting so much away from cinema and towards the TV format. And you and I have talked several times before about how it seems like the types of stories they want to tell are probably better suited to the television serialized format than to a, a you know, a two hour and 15 minute movie. Yeah. I think it is. It's, you know, Star Wars at this point in time, you know, let's face it, we have nine two hour movies, you know, set in the, the, that are a story arc plus two add-ons, you know, in solo and rogue one, um, you know, between that it's, we've got, we've got the big epic storyline. It's what we really need at this point in time is the idea of telling the smaller stories and the small screen is better suited to that. Quite frankly, you know, I mean, I have to look at this is it's, it's Disney corporate. We're looking at this and going Disney plus has been amazingly successful. Yep. Um, Now, you know, obviously COVID influenced that and people, you know, being at home, but, you know, The Mandalorian has been an incredibly successful property for them, you know, and I think it's, we're going to see Disney using Disney Plus. And I think that's the thing is, it's, they look at it and say they can use it much better with shorter episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, you know, The Mandalorian episodes are much easier to watch. And Clone Wars episodes are much easier to watch than sitting down and watch a movie. Um, and so I, I really think that some of this is just, uh, quite frankly, the change of the way we consume video entertainment, so to speak, with this. The other thing with it is, and, and I, I've really noticed this a little bit in The Mandalorian, I noticed it re-watching now season one and, and now watching season two and having been to Disney World, um, you know, back at the beginning of this year, the number of tie-ins to The Mandalorian subtly to what goes on at Galaxy's Edge is really noticeable. The idea of them cooking meat using the engines of spacecraft which is what is done in one of the major grills in, in Disney World. You, know, you walk into it, they have a, what looks like a giant engine, you know, which is the grill grilling the meat. Now, it's mostly fake, but that's obviously where the, um, the, the, the things are. But it's one of those where those types of things, I think it, it, Disney's really doing this idea of saying, we want to fill in small gaps in the universe. How do people eat? Um, mm-hmm. Again, I, I finished episode one of, se- of season two. You know, one of these things was really cool at the end is him packaging up this bit of crate dragon to take with him as a piece of meat. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, oh yeah, we need to eat. So we've got to take this, you know, and you look at the thing and you're like, that's a lot of meat. Like that's a mm-hmm. huge chunk. But the idea that like, you know, yes, you eat crate dragons. Um, and I, I thought that was really kind of, you know, cool uh, in conjunction with it and the idea of, you know, where it, where it went. And so those are the things that I could really see them playing around with, with this. And I think this is why we've got a lot of small screen stuff is just them playing around with, we want to make this a full experience. We want to make it that you can go to these. What I really gives me a question and I'm wondering about this. I've been wondering about this a lot just recently. Now we know there's two more avatar movies coming. Mm-hmm. Two more avatar movies. We know Disney is very into Pandora. They have the Pandora theme park, which is a, a wonderful theme park. I mean, if you go to if you go to Disney in Orlando, go to the, the, the Pandora. I mean, it's an amazing place to visit. It's what it is. Are we going to potentially see this now come out of the Avatar universe as well? Are we going to see Disney start doing this with their universes much more of these properties that they own, exploring these small parts and trying to make it a full experience so that when you walk into Galaxy's Edge, you are in the Star Wars universe completely immersed? Be interesting to see what they do with with Avatar. I wonder if the gap in, in between the films has, has been too long, and if some of the interest has been lost. I mean, when did that come out? I mean, that was six or seven years ago now. It's definitely a while ago. Though I have to admit, we rewatched the movie just before going to Galaxies, before going to Disney. So we watched it at the beginning of the year, partially so that our kids had seen it, so they knew what Pandora was. And watching it again, it it amazed me just how good of a movie Avatar is. <laughs> it is an extremely good movie, um, you know, and stuff like that. And so it's one of those where I think a lot of it's going to depend on are the other two movies good movies. If number two is a good movie, if they do a good job with it, I think it will rekindle the interest. People will be interested in it and stuff like that. But yeah, I can see the concern with it. But I've got to wonder if we're going to see that even in the future. If we're going to see, you know, particularly for Disney because they have theme parks, they have an animation studio, they have live action, they have the ability to do these large amounts of things with it. They can obviously license good video games. 
are we going to see this idea of it being much more of an immersive environment across multiple forms of media for a lot of their properties where we're now going to really see those properties become huge? Yeah. Um, and I think Star Wars is doing it because one, just the success of Star Wars. Now, obviously, if it takes off, we're going to see other studios do it, too. We've already seen some of it with like Despicable Me um, and the, the sort of Minions universe, for lack of a better term. You know, it's what it is, is starting to become that sort of pervasive. We've seen a bit of it in the Fast and the Furious universe. We've seen a bit of these kind of things like carrying over into a lot of different things. Um, some work well, you know, better than others, yep. but it'll be really interesting to see where that goes. So timing wise, Avatar, I just looked it up, came out in 2009. So it's been wow. 11 years. So you got to think, you know, a half a generation has gone by. And, and I remember when it came out, there were people who had an emotional reaction to it the way that we did to Star Wars, where you were just so sad when it was over because you wanted to see more. You wanted to be part yeah. of that world. Um, has that faded too much now to where these new ones are going to come out and the generation that remembers Avatar, are, are they going to not care or is it going to have like a prequel type problem where it's it's been so long and maybe the magic's been lost? It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I okay, think the big so- thing with that is just watching it again, because again, like when we saw it and I remember when the, when we were at the Disney parks, we had to leave before it really got dark um, in Pandora. We got to see it at least, you know, dusk. And so we got to see the stuff light up and things like that. I was in the boat that I didn't want to leave Pandora. Like it's one of the, I want, if we go back to Disney, I want to go back, back to Pandora because it was such a sort of, you know, cool feel. And they did such a great job with the rides. The rides in Pandora really play off that wanting to be there. And I can see my kids doing the same thing. They really wanted to be there. It's that's a universe that I think everybody wants to be part of. Yep. It was it was well done. It was that was a classic uh, classic case of, of just good filmmaking to flesh out the details of the universe subtly in the course of storytelling, and that's really where I felt like the Star Wars sequels kind of fell flat, where it was just shoving in a bunch of, of fan service stuff, but not really building out the universe through the narrative, just kind of throwing a sequence of images at us and saying, "Oh, look, you've seen this before." You know, nostalgia, yay! So. <laughs> but it's what Mandalorian is doing well. Exactly. That's what Mandalorian is doing a much better job of. Okay. So that's our hour. We're going to call it quits. We we don't know what we're doing yet for season four, which will start on our next episode. Uh, we're going to take a little time off here for the holidays and then regroup uh, in January and uh, we'll, we'll launch the new season and try and get back to our more traditional uh, episode format um, where we kind of get into some legal developments. There's actually been quite a bit of, of lawsuits and things going on. Also, the, the recent stimulus package that was uh, passed or it's going to be passed includes a number of changes to copyright and trademark law, as well as online streaming law uh, that uh, is being widely commented on largely inaccurately in the, in the, tech, <laughs> in the tech press. So we'll, we'll get into that and break it down and explain what's going on. Probably our first episode, we'll go through what's in that, that stimulus package and um, how that may affect um, you know day-to-day life. But for those of us who uh, live in play on the internet yeah and that's the one thing i will mention is because it is a holiday episode we should give you know two minutes if not else to the lego holiday special the new special uh, yes just came out you know from it it's worth watching <laughs> it is very funny at times um and stuff like that if you haven't seen it it, it is up there with it and interestingly enough it, it's interesting to see the lego star wars properties um another one that's out there if you guys haven't seen it are the freemaker adventures um if you haven't have a roku or the streaming service lego has a channel um, and they have parts of the Freemaker Adventures. They're also available on Disney+. Plus. These are really interesting episodes. And the reason I put them in is because while they're comedic, they're funny, they're Lego, they're sort of things like that. The one thing they have done inordinately well is one of the characters is Roger, who needless to say is a battle droid. He's the last <laughs> battle droid. Um, and part of the whole thing is him having to preserve himself because he's an antique. Um, and that is a hilarious aspect of them that they've done with the Freemaker adventures with it. Um, but one of the things with it is it's, I think it's interesting as well to sort of see the stuff with the Lego doing the holiday episode and literally remaking a holiday episode, which, you know, everybody wants to deny exists while tipping their hat to the holiday episode, but also making something completely new. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it is worth watching. There are a few references definitely to the old holiday episode and a, yes. and a couple sort of, you know, real tips of the hat. You have to kind of get the inside joke on. There are a lot of good jokes in it. It is designed to be very funny. It's a bit fast paced. They, they did a poor job, I think. In, in it's frenetic. Yeah. In. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a worth to watch. So I think we should talk about that just briefly, you know, from that respect of the fact there is another holiday episode, but we're not going to go into it. So uh, on that note, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, or whatever your winter solstice celebration of choice is. And uh, have a happy new year, and we'll see you all in 2021.
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri.